Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We really believe the next 35 minutes will help you. We pray God speaks to you through this week's message. My message today is Amen. Awesome. Some of you are going to clue in from the get-go today. You know, if this thing goes well, someone's probably going to stand up out of their seat today, but we'll just wait and see what happens. Hey, I want to, I want to talk about Amen. It's the last word in the Bible. And amen is actually a very powerful word. It's a very powerful word. It's actually a word of agreement. If you think about the, the word amen, does anybody know what it means? It means so be it. And I love it when we say in Jesus' name, amen. Because what are we really saying? We're saying in Jesus' name, so be it. It's a far more powerful word. I think that sometimes we get into the religiosity language, the, the church language, and we start to say amen to bookend a prayer, and we don't even really know what it means. Or somebody says something and you're like, amen, but it becomes habitual. But what does it really mean? It, it's saying in Jesus' name, so be it. And actually, it's a response it's a responsive word. It's a response to something that God has said to us. Actually, the word amen, it means to confirm the words of another. To confirm the words of another. Okay, so husbands, tune in. You are at home one day and your wife tries something on. Some new, some new clothes that she bought that day. And she tries it on. Someone's already whistling for their wife. I hope it was your wife. I hope it wasn't anybody else. Anyway, you, someone's whistling for their wife. Your wife tries something on. And then she says, how do I look in this? And you give an answer. You say something. And then right after you say, it doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter what the answer is. But right after you say something, she looks at you. And you start to think, was I wrong? Was I too honest? Was I not honest enough? And, you know, in my experience, that there's actually, I'm not sure if there's even, I don't even know if there's a right answer because... You know, you, you say something, it doesn't matter what you say. Husbands, support me here because I'm on my own and all the ladies are looking at me. So, so testify to what I'm saying. You know what the truth is, actually, and this is, this is true. In our house, it's probably the reverse anyway. Sarah never comes to me and says, do I look okay in this? But oftentimes, because I'm going to stand up here, I say, hey, do these shoes go with these pants? And does this top, like, can I pull this off? And sometimes she gives me the answer and I'm like, you didn't even think about that. I know this looks ridiculous. You're just trying to encourage me. So the truth is, is that I'm saying, husbands, this is what your wives do. In my house, I'm the wife, you know? So, you know, in in, in my house, it's, and Sarah, she's the secure one. She's like, she doesn't even care. I'm like, do I look okay? You know. But anyway, the point is, is that you, would it be fair to say that when somebody asks the question, you need the response, don't you? Because without the response, you're left hanging. Without the response, you don't know whether you got it right or whether you got it wrong or if there's agreement in that. So you need a response. And I want to look at a scripture today that talks about this. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Him is Jesus. 
All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. That's why we utter our amen to God for His glory. Jesus is the sum of the best promises that God made to the future of humanity. And and if you're in church today and you don't know what I'm talking about, this is what I mean to say, is that Jesus came and died for the sins of people. And since we couldn't live a perfect and righteous life, He gave us His perfect life in place of our sinful one. Now, here's where the rubber hits the road. When you get before God, you can throw out the idea of Him always judging and hating on you because no longer are you someone who exists outside of His family. But the moment that you said, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Saviour and you, you can take my horrible, sinful life and I'll take your perfect one, it means that you became a son of your Father who is in heaven. Now, as soon as you're a son of your Father who's in heaven, the judgment has been made and it's already done. The judgment, you don't have to wait for that because it actually happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. So the judgment was done there. Now you're free to be who God created you to be in Jesus' name. Does that make sense? Okay, amen. So be it in Jesus' name. I think this idea is going to catch by the end. God makes us promises. He does. It's what He does. Jesus was the fulfillment of promises He made you know, you know, in the Old Testament, and He's the sum of those promises. But God, how many of us understand that God continues to make promises today? And He didn't stop speaking thousands of years ago when the Bible was written. How many of us understand and know that even today, He still speaks, He still makes promises. You've heard them. You, you, you've, you've seen them maybe even unfold in people's lives. You've read them in the Scriptures. Sometimes you'll be reading this book and suddenly it comes alive and something that's in here will jump out at you and it becomes a promise for you. You've read them, you've heard, it, heard them. And how about this? You've waited on them. Yeah, you've waited on them. You know what it feels like to wait for the promises of God. Here's something I've understood to be true about God's promises. They're always intertwined with problems. That's why you need the promise. That's why God says there's a better day that's coming. Because problems are often intertwined with promises. That's why you need it. So that when you get it, doesn't matter what you're facing, you go, hey, that's okay, but God said, amen, let it be so in Jesus' name. That's why we need the promise. Sometimes it becomes difficult to see past the circumstances in our lives and we're still holding out and waiting for the thing that maybe God said to us. We're waiting for that promise. And it's almost as if, man, if we could just have like some kind of guarantee that what God said would happen, then I could worry a whole lot less about the future, right? Does that make sense to you? It's like, if there was just something that guaranteed to me, I said, hey, I know God said it, but I'm worried it's not going to happen. But if there was just something that would impress upon me and guarantee to me that the thing that I'm hoping for, that it was absolutely going to happen, wouldn't that be awesome to have a guarantee? 
Okay, so let me read to you another scripture. Romans 5, 5. Hope, which is, by the way, the state within where you exist while you're waiting for promise to come to pass, yeah? You're living in a place of hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. How about this one? In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. That word guarantee means also like a security deposit. If you go and buy a car and they say, hey, we're going to sell it. But if you put down money today, we'll hold it for you, okay? So this is like this word right there. He is the guarantee. He is the security deposit of our future inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. In other words, what I'm really suggesting to you today is that the Holy Spirit becomes the guarantee of something that God has promised to us. Now, in its context, the Scripture that we just read there is actually talking about future hope and glory, about stuff that He's promised to us. But can I also say to you today that when you have been filled with the presence of God, when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, that He begins to testify to you the truth about where you're at and about the things that God has said. So that when you're waiting on a promise, that guarantee, that future guarantee, that, that the, the presence of the Spirit begins to speak to you and say, you know what? Everything that God said is going to come to pass. He testifies. Now, the Scripture that we read, 1 Corinthians 1.20, it ends with this next verse. It says, and it is God who establishes uh, us with you in Christ and has anointed us, anointed his special provision from heaven to enable you to do whatever it is that God has called you to. That might be a promise for you right there. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The reason that it always talks about the Holy Spirit being the guarantee of future things to come is because you and I both know that what happens with a enough time is that we our promise begins to maybe deteriorate God speaks a word into your life and by the way if you've never heard God speak it might be just that you're not tuning into him I think that God's given us the capacity to hear him maybe we can pray for you at the end but the point is, is that with enough time when God has spoken to you, the reason he, we have all the guarantees is because with promise and time, we end up in this place called doubt, the land of doubt. And you start to doubt maybe what God has said. That's why we need the filling of the Holy Spirit because it removes the doubt and it testifies as to what the truth actually is. So here is my point to you today, really, is that God's word won't return to him void. If you know what I'm saying, that's not some weird sentence I made. That's just Bible. That's just the Scriptures. That's Isaiah 55, 11. His Word doesn't return to Him void. In fact, the Bible actually says in that passage that when God begins to speak, when He sends out His Word, it accomplishes everything that He sends it out to do. And it never comes back to Him having not accomplished what He sent it out to do. Here's something that Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will what? His words will remain. His words will never pass away. So what do I mean by that? Well, I said this a couple months ago, but here is the simple truth. It is more likely <laughs> that you wake up tomorrow and heaven and earth don't exist than for one word that God spoke to you 
to be returned to Him void. It is more likely that heaven and earth would just pass away. Now, I know a lot of people that are living in hope and hoping for things to begin to come to pass in their life and hoping that the things that they're praying for, the things that God has spoken to them, the things that the Holy Spirit has maybe even testified to them, they're living in hope that these things would come to pass. But it is more likely that tomorrow you wake up and nothing exists. By the way, I said this last time, if nothing exists, you don't have a thing to worry about because you don't exist. So stop worrying, stop fretting, stop getting concerned, stop being so worried about the future. If God has made you a promise, I'm telling you and promising you that it will be done. So here's something that you need to do in preparation for what God is going to do in your life. You've got to think and then you've got to begin to confess and then you live. Think, confess, live. Think, confess, live. When you think, you're starting to renew your mind in what you believe to be true. So what do we do? If I want to find truth and God's Word is truth and the Holy Spirit guides me into truth, then what are the things that I need to do? I need to actually keep coming back to God's Word and reading that because that becomes the revelation to me about what truth is. Hey, everyone's washing their mind in something. It might be it might be their workplace, it might be the culture of their workplace, it might be just the world at large, if I can globalize, like literally, they're washing their mind in that. I'm suggesting to you that if you want to live a spiritual life, the answers for life are not found out there, they're actually found in here. So what you do is you continue to renew your mind in truth, so you're starting to think right. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think, as you think, so goes your life. So if you want to live the life that's pleasing to God, if you want to live a life that pursues God and goes after the things of God, you're not going to find all of that out there. You're going to find it back in here. So renew your mind in what you know to be true and start to think right because you won't confess what you don't believe. You won't confess what you don't believe. So make sure you're believing right so that when you begin to testify to it and confess it, you're saying you're, and you're agreeing with the right things. Does that make sense to you? Let's look at this next scripture. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The heart believes and is justified, but the mouth confesses, and is saved. There's something about when you speak and confess that changes your life. There's something about not just hearing it and, and receiving it as revelation and going, oh, that sounds fantastic. There's something about confession and partnering with whatever you heard that makes it come to life. It's, it's wisdom to know that revelation understands the promise, but faith actually receives it. And your faith is evidenced by your confession. It's your faith is evidenced by what you say. It's to what you testify to. So when you hear something or you receive something as information and you believe it to be true, you start to partner with it and confess it because you cannot obey what you haven't heard. You can't obey what you haven't heard. So here's what you've got to do. You've got to take the time to listen to God 
about everything that He says about your life, about the world, about the universe, about your future, particularly about your past, you've got to listen to what He says. You don't have time to not spend with God. You, you, you can't be too busy for that. You, you, you know, it, I, I, as I've said recently, I think the business is the biggest spiritual killer in the world today. You don't have time to be busy. You don't have time to be busy. You need to take time and make time with God so you can hear what he says. Stop being busy. You don't have time for that. You need to come back to what you know to be true. You need to come back to the truth of this. The heart believes, but the mouth actually confesses. There's something about the confession. There's something about saying amen. There's something about saying so be it in Jesus' name that suddenly partners with what God has said. Our God is in the business of making promises to His people. You hear it. You understand it. When you confess it, that's a sign of your faith as you begin to enter into it. So I thought what I would do this morning is just look at a couple of times in the Scriptures where God made promises to people. So here's the first one, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I thought that that would have been the blessing, but he says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was received a promise from God. And his promise was that God would make him a great, from him a great nation. Now you remember before that when I said to you that promises and problems are often intertwined, yeah? That oftentimes they come hand in hand. Well, here's the problem. Abraham is getting on in his older age. In order to be the father of a great nation, you got to start with at least one child, at least one. Now, the problem is, is, is that, and if you read the Hebrews account of this, it says that he was as good as dead. I don't know how to explain this to you in any other way. So what I'm going to say to you is this. Back in this day, they didn't have Viagra. Okay. So he was as good as dead. Read it for yourself. <laughs> so here's the promise. The promise is you're going to be the father of a great nation. His current circumstance is that he doesn't have one child. The problem is he doesn't have Viagra. And the question becomes, well, what are you going to believe? He's got a problem in one hand and a promise in the other. How many times have you felt like you had a promise in one hand and a problem in the other? And you know, the interesting thing about all of this is that when he says, what are you going to believe? Abraham says, yes. And Sarah says, no. Actually, I'm going to read it to you because there are some times where God is just so funny. This is one of those times. So let me read it to you. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time. And he's speaking to Abram and 
Abraham, sorry. He says, The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham, uh, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, After I am worn out, and my Lord, being Abraham, is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And God said, No, you did laugh. No, but you did laugh. She's saying, oh, I didn't say that. He's like, I'm God. I was there when you said it. And besides, I know everything. So I heard what you said. You laughed. You didn't think it. So Sarah doesn't actually believe immediately that it's happening. Can I show you another account of this exact same passage? I want you to take note of of what I just said, because I want to show you another account of this passage. If you read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11, this is how it retells the story. Are you ready for this? Great, one person's ready. Everyone else just believe and agree with that person. Amen. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. What? This is the same person that laughed. Why is it that when we read the story the first time, She laughs and she says, shall I have pleasure? I doubt that that's going to happen. No, but you did laugh. When Hebrews retells the story, it says, no, she considered him faithful. Why? Because just because she didn't partner with him in that moment right then doesn't mean that God necessarily shut the door. He left it open for her. And you know what? So I I feel like for, for some of us, God has got promises that he's made to you and the door is still left open. And sometimes what you need to do is go back to the last thing that God said to you. Instead of trying to find something new to get around the thing that He said to you, go back to what He said last time. Because if it was a promise, no matter how difficult it was, I'm suggesting to you this morning that you should partner your faith with that. And maybe at the end of your life, your faith will be rewritten the the same way that Sarah's was. And instead of saying, oh, you know what? You were unfaithful. At the end of your life, it just signs off faithful because you went back and believed. Sometimes we've got to go back and believe. Let me tell you another story and let me give you the lead into this story. God speaks to Moses and he says to him, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. So what they do is when they get close to the land, they take the 12 tribes of Israel, they choose one man from each tribe and they send out spies into the land that they believed was the land of milk and honey, the place where God was sending them. And so these 12 spies representing the tribe of Israel, these 12 spies, they go out to the land to spy it out, to see what it was like. And then they come back with a report. And this is where we're going to tune in. This is Numbers chapter 13. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us and it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Isn't it so kind that they brought back some fruit and it flows with milk and honey. In other words, it is everything that God said it was going to be. He promised us and here it is. So there's the promise and it's everything that he said. However, however, there are people who dwell in, there are people who dwell in the land 
um, are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, besides the fact that the cities are large and fortified, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. Uh, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and every other ite dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites, there's another ite, dwell, in, dwell by the sea along and along the Jordan. So what is the promise? The promise is you will um, enter into this land flowing with milk and honey. It exists. So there's the promise in one hand. What's the problem in the other? The problem in the other hand is that there are people already living there. So you said you'd give us this land, but there are people already occupying that space. And the question becomes, what are we going to believe about this? Well, there are two responses. Again, just like in the previous passage, there are two responses. And here they are. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who'd gone up with him, the other people, to the other 11 guys, they said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. What is my point about all this? I'm saying that in one hand, you have promise. In the other hand, you have a problem. But what is the confession of your mouth? Because what you say amen to, what you confess to, what you believe in your heart and you testify with your mouth will become in some way your reality. Do you understand that in this passage, God actually closed the door of opportunity because when it came time for them to bring a faithful report, they said, we cannot do it. Never mind the fact that they had seen God answer the most outrageous prayers. I mean, literally, these people walked around the city for seven days and it fell from the inside out. And now they're standing right before the promise. They're so close to the promise. They're almost there. And with the confession of their mouth, they shut the door. Can you imagine? I mean, how many people get close to the promises of God and then because of the confession of their mouth, I don't think it's going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. They shut the door on the promise. What is the thing that you utter from your mouth? What comes from your mouth when you hear what God is promising you? Do you agree? Are you going to enter into partnership with it? Or do you turn and say, no, it's probably not going to happen. Here's something I've learned to be true about God. Whether you're praying or not, He's always listening in to what you say. He always listens in to what you say. In fact, as I was reading this passage out of Numbers chapter 13, there's an earlier passage, and I won't read it for the sake of time. But if you go to um, Numbers chapter 11, it tells this story where uh, Miriam and uh, Aaron, which is Moses' brother, they come to him and they start to say, hey, listen, you shouldn't have married this Cushite woman. And they start to sort of come down on him, you know, and sort of judge him. It literally says that the Lord heard what they were saying and came down and suddenly enters into that argument. And he says, <laughs> he says, you three, come with me. And it's just like my kids. He says, you three, come with me. And they come with him. And he says, just so you know, everyone, while, while you're listening to me, just so you know, with every other prophet, I speak in riddles and they're trying to figure out what I, with what I say. But when it comes to my servant Moses, I speak to him in plain speech. I don't make it hard for him to understand. And when he speaks, I speak. So how dare you come against my servant and begin to rain down on him because he married a Cushite woman? Can you imagine if God just rained on your little parade like that? You have an intervention with Moses and suddenly the Lord comes down and says, how dare you speak against the person that I've appointed to oversee you. They weren't praying. God just listened in. 
I remember one time I was walking to church, and I've told this story before, but I was, I was walking into church um, many years ago when I first be, was becoming a Christian, returning to you know, my faith and so forth. And I remember my life was not the life that I should have been living. And as I walked across the grass on the way into church that day, I was very late. The, the sermon was already running. And as I walked across the grass, I uttered something under my breath. You know what I said? I said, how can I come here week after week and not change my life? I tell you the truth. I was fed up with living two lives. I was fed up with, you know, coming to church and praising God on one hand. And on the other hand, I'd be going out and, you know, partying and do whatever I was going to do on the Saturday night. And I was like, I just can't keep living two lives. I was sick of myself. So I get into church. I'm shuffling into place, you know, sermon's already going. I find my seat. I sit down. The pastor goes, Ben. I thought, oh no, don't say Ben. Ben, because I'm the only Ben here. This is so embarrassing. I said, oh, maybe he said men. Oh, let, let him say men. And I looked down. Now nah, all the men are looking at me. So I realized that he said Ben. And this is what my pastor said to me at the time. He said to me, Ben, God wants you to know that he heard what you said under your breath as you walked into church today. And he wants you to know that it's going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. I was like, ah, he heard me. That's not fair it wasn't prayer. You know, the thing is, it's like, can God, can you just listen to me when I pray? Because then it's holy and it's righteous. And I'm like, dear Lord, heavenly father of heaven and earth. And you are so wonderful. He's not, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to the real stuff, right? Because he's listening in. He sees your whole life. And here's my point to you. When you're not in your holy prayer, what is the words that you begin to utter from your mouth? Are you saying amen to that? Are you saying amen to the promises of God? Are you agreeing with it? Are you entering into partnership with it? Because agreeing looks past contradictions and problems to receive the promise. Here is my point. When you hear truth, when you hear something that comes from God, you should say amen to that. Some of you are getting it. When you hear truth, when we testify to something that's true, you say amen to that. We are not the frozen chosen. We are not the people of God who were called by His great grace to sit there and nod and, and internalize everything. We're actually supposed to speak. We're actually supposed to open our mouths. We're supposed to say amen. We're supposed to testify to truth. That's what's supposed to come from our mouths. Problems bring contradictions, but confession actually enters the promise. It enters into the promise. Here's what you need to know. If God promises something, it is your yes to Him that receives it. Why is that important? Because sometimes the promise exists, but it's your confession that actually partners with it. It's you saying yes to it. Hey, come on. Is this not what happens with salvation? God desires for all to be saved. Yeah. You agree with me, yeah? Amen. So why aren't they? Because not everyone partners with that. The promise stands. But if you don't say yes to it, if you don't confess to it, then you don't actually enter into it. Does that make sense to you? 
So you've got to begin to agree with what God is saying over your life. And hey, can we just do this? I, I, I gave the simplest presentation of the gospel before. Can we get away from the idea that God is all over you with the judgment? If you've received Christ, you stand before Him as a son. So can you just start to believe that God wants good things for your life? And as He does begin to testify and say, you know what? I agree with you. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to partner with that. So be it in Jesus' name. If you said it, I want it. I'm going to agree. You see, the seat of the unconvinced looks like this. Silence, sit back, convince me. The seat of the convinced says, I agree. I'm not convincing anyone here today. I'm not convincing you. You're either convinced of what I'm saying or you're not. Now, if you happen to be convinced of what I'm saying, then you should testify to it. If you're not convinced of what I'm saying, then you'll be waiting for a moment for God to stir you and move you. The seed of the unconvinced analyzes. The seed of the convinced testifies. Do you know, there's something about this message. There's something about the gospel that should provoke us to respond Jesus is walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's died and resurrected and they don't know it. Two guys are walking along and Jesus joins them. But it says in the text that he hid who he was. So they didn't really know who he was as he joins them on on the journey. During the journey, he reveals who he is to them. And as he reveals it, later on he leaves. And then they have a conversation amongst themselves and they say this. Didn't his words burn within you as he was talking? I'm wondering if God's words burn within you. It's just something that provokes a response. When we're singing these words and we're singing our songs, are you trying to keep up with the lyrics or is that your prayer? Are you agreeing with what you say? Are you in the habit of just going over the words, reading it, going through the motions? We did four songs. Every one of them testifies to truth. For some of you, you went through the motions today. For others of you, you were testifying to truth. You were speaking it out. It was becoming reality for you. And I'm suggesting to you this morning that when God's words are burning within you, passion is supposed to flow over. It's supposed to spill out. Come on, you're not the frozen chosen. You're not sitting in the seat of the unconvinced, are you? You're not waiting for this to be good enough for you to go, I agree. You know what? Sometimes God just throws little bits of truth out there. And when you hear it, you say, Amen, I want that for myself. Amen, I agree with that. Amen, I'm going to take it on. You know, I remember actually many, many years ago, I was driving at the end of Lewis Road. And God said to me, I'm going to call you into into pastoral ministry. I'm going to call you to be full-time pastor in the next couple of years. That to me at the time was so outrageous. The first thing I did is rebuke myself for having such an outrageous idea. And then like Sarah, I followed it up and I said, you know what, actually, if that's what you want, then amen to that. I'm going to agree with that. Well, you wouldn't believe it. I was probably, I thought, the least likely person to be in full-time ministry. I was the first full-time staff member that this church had hired. And I wasn't on the radar. There was no reason for me to think that. I just heard God say it. And I said, amen to that. So be it. Last week, if you missed what Corey preached about, it was a great message. I'm not going to go over it today, but he said the water levels are rising. 
He said that people would come from near and far to this church so that when we begin to pray for people, that they would be healed in Jesus' Name. He said, you know what? These are the things that are going to happen. People are going to come from far and wide just to be prayed for by this church. He said this church would be set apart for signs and wonders, for the miraculous. You know what? As he's saying that, am I sitting in the seat of the unconvinced? Oh, did you really hear that from God? Did you really say that? Do you know what the response of my heart is? Amen. Come on, amen. You know why? Because I actually want it. I'm not sitting in the seat of the unconvinced. And to me, it doesn't even matter how the message got here. I'm like, I don't care. I'm partnering with it. I am sitting in the seat of the convinced. And when I hear words of truth and promises that I want to partner with, I say amen to that. So be it in Jesus' Name. I want to partner with it. In fact, so much so that last year I was um, at a pastor's uh, uh, conference. It wasn't a pastor's conference. It was a, it was a regional event. They had a speaker. Uh, his name is Tim Hall. Some of you guys might have heard of Tim Hall. Tim Hall is an evangelist. As he preaches, he moves in signs and wonders and all the rest. And I'm sitting there by myself in a room full of 100 pastors or whatever. And then Tim Hall, he gives this uh, altar call and he says, Hey, listen, if you want me to begin to speak uh, over you or, 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 you know, begin to move in, in signs and wonders and other stuff, or why don't you get out of your seat and come forwards? You think that only church members are the frozen chosen? I look to my left and my right and I'm like, what? Are we all too cool for school here? All of you all could have more signs and wonders in your churches. So I get up. I don't care. I get up and say, I'm partnering with this. You know why? Because I don't care what other people think of me. What I really care. I thought, hey, if I get this, I'm going to bring it back to my church. I'm going to pray for people. They're going to get healed in Jesus' Name. Man, why why would I not want to partner with that? So you know what happened? Right before I get to the front, a few people scoot in ahead of me. He begins to pray and he's sort of praying and going on and all the rest of it. And I'm waiting. You know, have you ever been, this always happens to me, by the way, if I ever respond to anything and I say, I'm, you know, next step, next step, next step. And I'm waiting. I'm like, now I'm the guy. Now he's prayed for the last guy. Now it's my turn. I'm like, oh, come on. I'm getting ready for this. He's going to pray and it's going to be great and all the rest of it. And we're going to have to close it there today because uh, we're over time. So sorry if you wanted to be prayed for, go back to your seat. So I'm like, man, this always happens to me. I can't believe it. So I'm sitting down in my seat and the, and the prayer time is over. What am I going to do? I'm not suggesting you do this, by the way. This was something that I did. I'm not telling you to do this. When the offering came around, I happened to have a particularly large amount of money in my wallet. And as the offering came around, I said, God, I ain't get prayed for. But right now, I'm going to sow a seed of faith for my church. I'm going to give everything I've got and I didn't have anything left over. I'm giving everything I've got. And I had taken out money that day. Listen, just don't take out money before you go to stuff like that. I'd taken out money that day and I put it in there and I said, God, no one told me to do this. This is not what pastors do. We're not, we're not interested in manipulating people for money. That's ridiculous. I said, I'm sowing a seed of faith right now for my church. I'm going to give everything I have to this. I didn't get prayer for it, but what's on Him, let it be on me. In Jesus' Name, Amen. And after that moment, and it was within a matter of weeks and months, I started to see breakthrough in my prayers. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that 
God didn't even really make me a promise that day. I partnered with something. He actually kind of partnered with me. I said, God, I want to receive that by faith. He was going to pray. I felt like I missed out. I'm, I'm partnering with that right now. So God, would you agree with me on this? And he said, yes. And He partnered with me on it. And ever since that moment, things have begun to break through. What is my point? I'm saying, what are you gonna partner with? There's meant to be a confession. You're meant to say, Amen. You're not supposed to be silent. I'm like, if Esther's up here and speaking about something to do with offering and I hear truth, I go, Amen. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying, hey, Esther, you're awesome. I'm saying, I I agree with that. I'm saying I testify to that. So be it in Jesus' Name. Whenever I hear truth that comes from God's Word, I say, I agree in Jesus' Name. And I'm suggesting to you again this morning that when you hear truth be uttered, agree in Jesus' Name. Amen to that. Partner with God's promise. Partner with what He actually wants to do within your life. When we hear something, we say, Amen. I'm in the seat of the convinced. I don't need to be convinced any longer. I'm just ready to go. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.